every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. This is Skip Coriel, your host of the Home Defense Show. It's been a week, but we are back with a vengeance. And we are cock-locked, ready to rock with all kinds of good stuff to help you protect your family. All right, what are we going to do now? Let's talk about my personal life. Why? Because I am a gun-toting narcissist, and uh, I, I love the topic. I love to talk about myself. Why do you think I'm a talk show host? Anyways, just kidding, folks. Um, what have I been doing? Well, aside from the two radio shows and teaching gun classes, I had two classes this past weekend that went well. Um, teaching college, raising children with my lovely wife, Sarah. We have been remodeling our house for about a year now. Super old house, built in 1899, and we have a, a new kitchen. We have a new laundry room. We have two new bathrooms now. Not new, but remodeled. And yesterday we started working on, uh, well, it's the room that we call the cave. Because when we bought this house, we went up into this room, and it was the scariest room in the whole house. Uh, I, I wouldn't go up there without a firearm. It was just uh, kind of spooky. All dark and dingy and musty. And it's the room where the bats came out of the attic to get into the house. So, of course, my wife said, hey, I want this to be our bedroom. And I said, no, I don't think so. She says, yeah, just remodel it. It'll be okay. So we got rid of the bats. We got rid of the snakes in the basement. We got rid of the termites. We got rid of uh, the spiders. We got rid of the squirrels that were in the house. So now we are officially rodent and pest free. And yesterday I, I was working on remodeling. We put down... Oh, a whole new floor, solid oak floor planking. I had never done that before. And, folks, i got to tell you, I am terrible at this kind of thing. I, I just, I mean, I can, I can write a novel. I can write a concealed carry book. I can do two radio shows. I can teach college writing, but I can't put down an oak floor. I mean, I did it, but if you ever come over to my house to visit, don't look real closely at it. From about six feet away, it's okay. So don't get any closer to, than that, and everything will be fine. You'll, you'll think I'm a genius. But that's what we've been doing. We have now officially survived 2017 February, and I believe in about, uh, well, less than three weeks, about 19 days, spring officially will be here. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to plant a nice garden. We're going to put up some, some chicken runs. For our chickens and just get the spring, summer, fall uh, projects off to a good start. But in the meantime, it's cold. All right, what are we going to do now? We have got to talk about home and personal defense. So let's talk about, uh, well, we'll go to bearingarms.com here and see what in the world's going on. All right, here's an article. Oh, this is from CNN, so it's, you know, it's true. Surely I just. Blacks are buying guns because of Trump's racist su supporters. Blacks are buying guns because of Trump's racist supporters. 
I believe that they're buying guns, but I'm not sure that's why. Well, hey, let's go in unbiased and uh, with an open mind. Over the last year, the National African American Gun Association, NAAGA, has seen their membership double to 18,000 members. NAAGA, we'll just call it NAGA. NAGA attributes a large portion of their growth to the election of President Donald Trump. Quote, I'd be lying to you if I said Donald Trump hasn't affected our numbers, NAGA President Philip Smith told CNN. They have jumped off the roof. You know, isn't that what Obama did uh, for white people? Isn't that amazing? Oh, Obama sent uh, white people to the store in, in droves, buying, buying guns and taking classes. So, hey, if white people can do it, so can black people. Uh, most of the new NAGA members joined out of fear of racist fringe groups that have sprung up since Trump took the lead in the Republican primary. Wow. Well, you know, I think it's great. These are, uh, in all likelihood, uh, law-abiding um, black Americans. I mean, if they're joining a, a group and being public about it, um, they're probably going through background checks and they're buying their guns legally. I think that's fantastic. But not probably for the same reasons that they think it's fantastic. You know, what is it? 64% of all uh, murders are committed by black people. And 75% of those are committed black people against other black people. Um, Newsflash here, uh, Mr. Smith from Nega. You don't have to be afraid of white racists who voted for Donald Trump. You need to be afraid of your own kind. They're, They're the ones more likely to kill you. They're what what eight times more you're you're eight times more likely to be killed by a black person than you are a white racist Trump voter. Well, it is it is what it is. I'm glad they're getting armed. It's about stinking time. You know, welcome to the party, pal. Um, you know, we've been arming for years. So you go ahead, you arm up, you get trained. Come on out to Midwest Tactical, and I will teach all of you black folks how to safely and efficiently carry concealed. All right, enough of that. What else do we have at BearingArms.com? Ah, here's an interesting article. What does this say? Oh, California man shoots granddaughter's boyfriend in self-defense. So grandpa shot his granddaughter's boyfriend in self-defense. Wow. I remember one time my... uh, older sister, the first date she ever had, he was picking her up like at six. And the boyfriend got to the front door the same time my dad got to the back door. And he had been out behind the house rabbit hunting. So my dad heard the door, the knock on the door. So he goes, he answers the front door and he's got a 12 gauge double barrel shotgun. And, yes, may I help you? I'm here to date your daughter. Oh, crap. (laughs) Needless to say, he had my sister back early, which is how it should be anyways. Now, let's get to this story. So, Grandpa shot the boyfriend, huh? Reading police say an elderly man was forced to take aim. You got to watch out for those elderly guys, don't you? And shoot his granddaughter's boyfriend after the suspect became verbally and physically aggressive in his California home. You know, what's the moral to this story? Right out of the box. 
Respect your elders. My gosh. I mean, you're supposed to know that from the time you're two years old. Respect your elders. You know, they they got that old in a, in a really rough world. You should respect them right out of the box. They deserve your respect. Joshua Eric Horak, what a name, 29 of Tacoma, Washington, was shot in his girlfriend's grandparents' home on Woodbury Drive in Redding, California, blah, 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 Sunday afternoon. According to investigators, Horak and his girlfriend traveled to Redding to visit with her grandparents. While visiting at the home, Horak became angry toward the grandparents. Yeah, those, those old people, they're such a threat, aren't they? Horak's aggressive behavior increased throughout the weekend. Oh, they were there overnight. Well, that probably pissed off Grandpa right there, causing the grandparents to feel threatened in their own home. Witnesses told authorities that Horak was told he needed to leave and was no longer welcome in their home by the grandfather, a man in his 70s. Horak only became irritated with that and started to threaten and yell at the grandfather. Feeling threatened, the grandfather armed himself with a handgun in case he needed to protect himself and his family. After the grandfather grabbed the gun, Horak continued to be verbally abusive and then charged at the grandfather. Officials said that it was at this point that the grandfather shot Horak one time in self-defense. Well, if it's a good shot, you only need one time. Ah, but that didn't stop the threat on the elderly man or his family. Ah, Horak got back up and tried to charge the grandpa again. Boy, this sounds like uh, a future Darwin Award recipient. Once again, Horak was shot in self-defense. The second shot stopped Horak's attack, and 911 was called. Cops got there, questioned the girlfriend and the family, and poor 29-year-old Horak was taken to the hospital. He is expected to survive. <laughs> I bet he's not expected to date that girl again. <laughs> Horak, respect your elders, damn it. That's your job. I like that story. Happy ending. The uh, grandpa defended himself, and he taught some young whippersnapper about respect for your elders. Fantastic. I like that one. What else we got here? Guns saving lives. Working, 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 working. Here we go. A carjacker thinks his victim is giving in until she hands over her purse. Aha. So you got to watch out for old men and women. Last Monday, 7.30 a.m. in Boise, Idaho, a woman fended off a would-be carjacker with her Ruger LCP. Well, I, I don't applaud her choice of a firearm, but, hey, first rule to a gunfight is bring a gun, right? She brought a gun. Ruger LCP, those things are, they're not worthless as tits on a boar hog, but... Uh, just leave it at that. The woman had just dropped off her daughter at school. Uh, she's, a man stepped out in front of her car, and she stopped to keep from hitting him. He jumped into the car. Wow. He came to the driver's side of my door and opened it and demanded my keys and my purse. And when I refused to give it to him, he started hitting me in the head multiple times. Boy, chivalry is dead in Boise, Idaho. He got my face once and my forehead once, and when that didn't work, he grabbed my hair and began pulling me out of the car. And I finally said, okay, okay, that's enough, stop, I'll give you my purse. When I turned to give him my purse, I reached in my center console, and I grabbed my gun. Good girl, good girl. And I pointed it at him, and it scared him off. What? She didn't shoot him? 
The woman says she doesn't know what would have happened if she didn't ever fire him with her. Well, I know. She got the crap kicked out of her, maybe died, and maybe been raped and lost her car. That's what would have happened to you, lady. Why didn't you shoot this guy? Once the suspect fled the scene, he ran down the alley behind Albertson's grocery store. He remains at large, six feet tall, light-skinned, clean-shaven. Who cares, right? Man, what a lost opportunity. I know you're not supposed to want to shoot somebody, but when they're beating the crap out of you, uh, and you're a woman, no doubt, you have the gun in your hand, it's pointed at at him. What a missed opportunity. <sighs> One of those, I wish I could take that back moments. She hasn't been to my class, that's for sure. Fire for effect, lady. Now the guy's out there, and he's going to hurt other people. I know I'm not supposed to think that way, but I do think that way, because that's the way that it is. Oh, well. Okay, folks. Well, I think that is about it for this segment. Good intro, I think. Some good stories. Coming up, segments two and three, we have got a man named Bruce Beach. He is, he's he's another one of those old codgers. I think he's 80-some years old. He lives in Canada. He is the, uh, let me get the book here. He's a former radiological scientific officer and former professor of, professor of economics. He is a designer and founder of the renowned ARC-2 nuclear survival complex with teams all over the country. We are going to be talking about how do you protect your family after societal collapse. What do you have to do to survive? All right, folks, we will be back in a few minutes. In the meantime, stay alert, stay alive, and protect your family. This is Skip Coriel with the Home Defense Show. My name is Siege Coriel. Welcome to the Home Defense Show with my dad, Skip Coriel. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. We have a, a, a very colorful person, prolific person on the uh, phone with us. He is Bruce Beach from Horning Mills, Canada. And he has written a very interesting book called Society After Doomsday. Bruce, welcome to the Home Defense Show. Okay, thank you, Skip. Bruce, you know, I've been following you for, for several years now. Your group, um, Art 2, just fascinates me. But before we get into that, will you just tell us, oh, you know, a couple-minute bio about yourself, you know, where you're from, how you grew up, 
how did you get to be Bruce Beach and where you are today? I think probably what people will uh, kind of find curious or interesting is I'm probably considered the, quote, oldest prepper in, in uh, North America here. Uh, the, a couple of university professors came out, oh, 15 years ago and wrote a book called uh, Dancing at Armageddon. They, these were two PhDs doing a postdoctoral from uh, uh, Southern California and uh, said uh, to them, you know, why did they always come out to visit with me? And they said, well, we consider you the dean of the North American uh, uh, survival community here. I, I do go back a long ways. And I, I met personally and talked with people that are just names to most people. Just learned lots from those individuals. A name that comes to my mind, uh, I don't know if you, uh, being your particular interest, you probably remember the name of uh, Mel Tappan. Mel Tappan? No, but tell me about him. There was a man who never met a gun that he didn't like. And, <laughs> and he recommended that was his whole line of, of civil defense, uh, prepper defense, the prepper preparation, I, I don't know how many hundreds of guns he must have had, but he, he had lots and, and, and tons. I'm sure that's a, a literal word of ammunition. Anyway, I come from an old community here. New younger people don't really remember. It was a whole different community back then. I built shelters uh, back in the 19, late 1950s. I built uh, shelters for people in the forum myself, uh, over a couple of dozen of them, and I've consulted, given free consultations on shelter building for many, many people. There's been lots of videos, National Geographic, and uh, right now there's one running on the Discovery Channel uh, about the ARC-2, which is the largest one I ever built. 42 buried school buses, and originally it was built for a 1,000 people, but government standards changed, and they reduced our number down to 500 people still. That's uh, sort of the background regarding myself of who I am. Bruce, where, where were you originally born? Where, you were born in the U.S., were you not? In Kansas. I uh, uh, still have a home in Kansas, and uh, children in Kansas. I have over 22 uh, descendants, and uh, they're spread throughout the world. Among them, I have four Chinese grandchildren, and I have Jewish grandchildren, and, and great-grandchildren, and, and we're a very diverse family. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, most of us are uh, these days. Now, now Bruce, you, uh, you were also in uh, the U.S. military, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I was uh, in the service there. Eight years service, uh, four active, four, uh, reserve. And, um, I was, uh, a control tower operator. I, uh, served up in the Arctic. I was, a, went off on the survey trail for secret site that we had out there that was, uh, a buried missile site. Even the host country didn't know that that's, uh, that it was there. And it was uh, uh, run by a nuclear generator, which was an amazing thing back in those days. Well, I, I see uh, on the, the back of your book about the author, it says you were also a radiological scientific officer. 
Uh, what exactly is that? Most people probably don't even know what that is. Well, uh, that uh, comes more after the uh, military service, and that is training in the area of radiological defense. It's the fourth level. U.S. and Canada match each other in, in uh, everything that they do. The, Canada just follows the U.S. pattern, whatever it sets for anything. But the first level is to learn to be a radiological monitor. Uh, you're taught how to go out with a radiation detector and how to read the gauges and uh, what level to carry them and, and just how to use the monitor. And the next uh, uh, level up from that, a survey officer, and that's so that you can take these readings and compile them and to and train that the one near task then is to train radiological monitors. Third uh, level up uh, is uh, to run uh, surveys for, and they branch off in some specialties here in this level. Uh, they try to get engineers to do this, to run surveys for, for buildings uh, which would be suitable for sheltering, uh, shelter management uh, to uh, uh, sometimes they had designated large areas and such as subways and under malls and all. And uh, shelter managers were appointed over these things so that they had to know how to decontaminate people and when it was safe for people to go out and how long to send them out and get them back in and so forth. And then, uh, but the fourth and final level, which trained all the other levels uh, uh, below, was this radiological scientific officer. These individuals were supposed to be consultants to mayors and, and uh, governors of states, give them radiological defense plans and what they should be doing, where they should be using their resources, and, and of course, to teach all the lower levels. The requirement for becoming a radiological scientific officer was that, uh, that you have a Ph.D. in physics, uh, for one thing, and, and then uh, you went and attended this uh, uh, two-week course. And I didn't have the Ph.D., but uh, uh, I was a college professor, and I'm, I'm very interested in this field, and, and so they let me in. And the fellow that I uh, shared a table with, there were two of us at a table. I was a Ph.D. in physics, and he helped me through. And so we always... Uh, uh, sat at the same work table, and then we went to lunch together. And then in the evening, I'd go over to his room, and we would study. At the end of the course, in the grades, he was number one, but I was number two. I wouldn't have made it through like that except for his help, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is interesting, and that's a good segue into uh, another topic. You know, your book, Society After Doomsday, uh, and prepping in general, um, if I'm remembering right from your newsletters, you believe that uh, societal collapse will come about by nuclear war. Is, is that correct? Uh, well, approximately, uh, or maybe it's the other way that around that societal collapse will bring about nuclear war. I don't know oh, okay. exactly the... Uh, chain of events, uh, economic, financial collapse, finance, uh, monetary collapse of the dollar. We have many pressures in the world today that are pressing for societal collapse, and, and one of the responses to it in, in the past has always been when there's been a depression or something like that, well, to have war. 
and uh, there are many forces pressing at this present moment to cause conflict between nuclear powers such that the magazine uh, bulletin of the atomic scientists has this clock face on the front of it which they measure the how close we are to war and right now matches the closest that it's ever been i think it's at two and a half minutes or something like that we may not get to have time to finish this interview although that's that's true it's uh uh, it, things could happen at any time. I have always thought that it was inevitable, I still think it's inevitable, that we're going to use these weapons. Some people say, oh, mankind's too smart, we'll never use those things. And then why do we keep building more and more? It doesn't take man to set them off today, as computers could, but it's just a chain of events that comes automated. Nobody decides that we're going to have nuclear World War III, that we will just fall into it. Uh, but we we do move uh, along this path, and, and there are more and more nations uh, today that have uh, uh, nuclear weapons. We call it nuclear pr proliferation. Conflicts that are of such a nature that they uh, do not give to easy resolution uh, that this can just get away from us, and and whenever it does, it will pull everyone in. Yeah. You know, one of the things about prepping, preparing for society after doomsday is you don't know the details of what exactly is going to happen. I mean, how do you prepare for all these different scenarios? But, you know, in your newsletters, you talk about um, Pakistan and India a lot. Why do you believe Pakistan and India might be the kickoff? to uh, a nuclear holocaust of, of this type? Well, everyone has different paradigms. My personal paradigm is Bible-based, uh, things from the book of Revelation. When, but also in the secular world, uh, this is considered by many. Uh, Bill Clinton, when he was in office and still to this day, and, and many other international analysts feel that the most threatening situation in the world at this moment is between Pakistan and India. They're both nuclear powers. They're uh, both very threatening to each other. They keep having these armed conflicts between them. One is very subject to being overtaken by terrorists who can get a hold of these power, uh, these nuclear weapons. And the other said, if you have the least little one that you use, we'll just completely obliterate your country. It's a very threatening situation, and that's why that one's considered that way. But others see it uh, differently. They they think the threats might be North Korea or or Iran, and they most people uh, see the nuclear threat going through stages. First, uh, the use of uh, EMP that stands for electromagnetic pulse, high altitude explosion that electrically and electronically it just turns off the whole of the power in the United States permanently. That's usually uh, considered the first stage if anyone's going to do a nuclear attack against the U.S. And the second stage is launches uh, from uh, submarines uh, that are not that far away, but against the submarine ports in the U.S. because they want to make sure that no more of the U.S. subs get out that are already out there. All these events take place in a matter of minutes or within an hour or something like that. 
The question is not so much how a nuclear war starts, but rather how a nuclear war ends. And Matthew 24, particularly, is one that many people quote, and it says there, except uh, Jesus, in the words of Jesus, except those days be shortened, none would survive, not even very elect. So the question is, how long is this event going to be foreshortened, and how is it going to be shortened? In my paradigm, what is going to shorten it is what we call the great catastrophe. That is a good transition into what we want to talk about when, when we come back to the next segment, and maybe some things that your family or your home can do to prepare for something like this. So this is Skip Coriel on the Home Defense Show. We will be right back. My name is Felix Coriel. Welcome to the Home Defense Show with my dad, Skip Coriel. We'll be right back. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, this is Skip Correa with the Home Defense Show. We are back with Bruce Beach from ARC2 and the book Society After Doomsday. Um, we are having a great discussion here. What I'd like to talk about now is I'd like to relate this to home and family defense. I think you're of the same opinion that, that I am, that it's not just enough to collect beans and bullets and rice and prepare, you know, in in those types of ways, but also, if you're alone after societal collapse, you may not last very long. You need a community support. You need some type of reconstruction effort. Can you talk to us about what you feel people will have to do in order to survive after doomsday? Well, down through the years, uh, my thinking has followed the path that most everyone does to uh, begin with. The first thought everyone has is bug out. Where am I going to bug out to? Having a bug out bag, having a bug out map, and then they finally come to the conclusion, well, you have to have somebody to go to, and, and how are they going to prepare that bug out site that they're going to go to? And then the 
if they are really serious about this, they realize, you know, you never know how you're going to get there because it says in the book, uh, pray that your flight not cometh not in the winter time. You better be living there. They finally come to the conclusion, especially if they live in the city, that they better get out of the city. People try to now prepare uh, some of them, and very few because they feel they have to have jobs, their lives demand that they uh, live uh, where they can get to their work and one thing or another. They cannot really build a self-sufficient homestead. Here they are. They're going to be wherever they are, and most people are going to still be in the city when it happens. If they're in suburbia, if they're in small towns or villages, you're just going to be wherever you are. And the your main thing that you, your main resource in those locations is going to have to be your neighbors. The thing that I r- recommend to people, and we start with any individual, it has to be you, as the saying says. You are the one, this is where it begins. have to have the information and go to the others and explain to them how you have to cooperate. And I put this into a free paper. I've got it on the Internet. Anybody can download it. It's called uh, Reconstruction After a Nuclear War. The first step is to try to get two or three people around you to talk to you, to start a little meeting, to bring in a, a few more, to decide that you're going to be a working group and that you're going to appoint uh, elect out of this by secret ballot some individuals uh, who are going to be your coordinators. And these coordinators have one major responsibility to begin with. Later on, others come to them. But at the outset, they have to make sure that everybody is working on something. What will happen after a nuclear war is, especially out in the villages and towns, most people won't even know that it's happened. They'll just know the power's gone off. Probably the radio isn't working. Most people don't have battery-powered radios about today. And and they will just go outside and see their neighbor out there and say, isn't that strange? Here's a nice, beautiful day, and the power's off. And that night, people, uh, the, the word will finally drift into people, you know, what's happened, and they've gone to bed. And if it's wintertime, their houses, are, most people aren't prepared that prepared for it. They're kind of cold at night, and it's dark, and they... Next morning, they're out there, and things aren't any better. And they begin to realize things aren't going to get any better. And so this is where they need to start saying to their neighbors, you know, I've heard of this plan. It's called LEARNS, L-E-R-N's, Local Economy Recovery Networks. I, in fact, I've got a paper it would be a good thing for them to say that explains about it. And we should discuss about this because, this is, tells us what we got to do after a nuclear war. Not many people have thought about that. And so what they have to do is they try to get extend out the number of people that are cooperating with them to 150. That's the center number. There might be closer to 200. They may not get to 100. They may only find 10 or 20 people around them will cooperate. But whatever it is, these people have to uh, select their leadership, and the leadership has to look and make sure that the inventory, all the talent that they have there, 
and they use all this talent to make the decisions of what it is they have to do and the people who are going to do it and that everybody's doing something towards it. What anybody's first concerns may be, generally it starts with security, but people that are in a high-rise in the city, the neighbors that they've got to talk to are the people who live on their floor and ride around them. There may be 30 people, 40, 50 on that floor, more than, somewhere in that number, and they would get together, knock on the doors, come out here in the hall, and let's talk. This is what we have to do, and we've got to form this group. And they might then spread on to say, well, let's talk to the floor above and the floor below. And our first concern might be, uh, this is immediately after, it might be a fallout. How do you protect the people on this floor from fallout? And actually, they're in a pretty favorable location. If, if they're in a high-rise, if they're above the seventh floor and they're four or five floors below the roof, well, they're probably in a, a good, good location. Then they can bring people down to the, that level floor anyway and keep them back from the outer walls and and the fallout just falls past onto the ground and the fallout on the roof, the radiation isn't going to reach down to them at that level and the fallout from the ground isn't going to reach up to them. They're in pretty good shelter. And then they make, but most people wouldn't understand that. That's why you need to get together a group and, and have some people who figure these things out. And then they might say, you know, our next concern is security. We got to go down to the end of the hallways and make sure these doors stay locked or uh, that anybody uh, comes and knocks on our door, they know the code for us to open the door to them and so that we're secure in here. Then they might think, well, what's our next problem? Well, it's water. And there's solutions to do this. And they get and some people with ideas of engineering and, or maybe filtering air for the fallout. Or I'm just talking about me. But eventually you're going to get down to your problems, food. I can give lots of scenarios and how and what approach it, and they're going to be tough. What will people will do will depend on the people they have there and the skills they have and the resources are available. You can't say for anybody because everybody's situation is different. Bruce, I agree with, with everything that you said. I, I, try, I try to do that now in preparation. It, it seems to me, and you can give me your thoughts on this, that it's really hard to get people to prepare in advance for something like this. You know, it, it's like, why should I fix the roof? It's not raining. And you wait till, but by the time you fix the, you know, it's raining, it's, you can't fix the roof. Is that what, what you are discovering, trying to get people to prepare in advance? The fellows who join me in the newsletter, they, they continue carrying on this message. I've done this for over 50 years. And I know now that I'm not going to convince people. And if I do convince somebody, let's say back to our mythical apartment building here, you're one person and you've been convinced on this floor. You're not going to get your neighbors to join with you. I just can tell you it's not happened. Maybe the world will change here in the next week or so, and, and uh, people will take an interest in doing that. In Germany, two months ago or three months ago, they passed the law that everybody's got to prepare for three weeks, you see. and uh, But I don't uh, think that if they pass such a law in the U.S., people would be obedient to it. Germans are different psychology, and they've been through the Berlin Wall crisis and one thing and another. I don't think you're going to get people to do that. So if you're on this mythical floor and you make the preparation, 
Are you going to bolt your door against all your neighbors? Not likely to do any good anyway, and so whatever rations you have, you're going to have to share. That's just the reality of it. Well, yeah, you, I guess you either have to share or shoot your neighbor uh, to keep them from from getting it. That uh, got you outnumbered, they'll win. Yeah, that that's a tough decision to make, and is like, is that even a decision that you can live with afterwards uh, psychologically? Well, there will be lots lots of different situations, different places, and each one will be individual. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, we've got about two minutes left, Bruce. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about R2? Because I, I know you've worked really hard on that for, what, decades now, isn't it? Yeah, I have. R2 is uh, is a larger uh, survival facility. But our key with it is the same key, and I'm going to go back to what we were talking about of your communities, because what we are is just a central community. We try to get everybody around us to cooperate. And the thing that you have to do in the long run, uh, while I was talking about the survival phase, you have to get uh, all these people to communicate for the uh, recovery phase. If you try to get about 150 people, and there's a reason why we pick that number, larger is too difficult to manage, and the smaller you don't have all the talent you need. You try to get these uh, people to cooperate, and you have to send out this message to the floors above you and the buildings adjacent and to the community around you, and do some missionary work and try to get them to organize in the same way. The operative word here is networks. These are local economy recovery networks. But you got to work on the recovery in your local economy. You cannot wait. Well, the government's going to come and, and straighten all this out for us. Again, not going to happen. So you can go into the terrible situation you're going to be or you can start working on the solution. That's what the idea of the networks are. The networks, whatever level of network that you have, and it, when you have, uh, uh, say, uh, that you've elected five people for, out of your 150, they select one person from among themselves to join with five other or four other uh, uh, networks around them. And and that's a next level learn. And then if you build this network on up to the next level, and eventually you get up where you're uh, – have a group of 10,000 and 100,000 people and more and more. And the, the more people that you can get to network, the more viable it becomes. Now, Bruce, this is all detailed in your book, Society After Doomsday. Is that correct? That's correct. How can people uh, get a copy of your book? Is it on Amazon? Yeah. It's available on Amazon or they can contact me directly and I always appreciate a donation of $10, but I'll send it to them by ebook, and but they can get it uh, from either location. Okay. How can people contact you? How can they learn more about uh, R2 and, and everything that you're doing in the prepping community? Yeah, well, our website's uh, www.webpal.org. Webpal.org. All right, and the, and the book again is Society After Doomsday by Bruce Beach. I love this book myself. Uh, they can also subscribe to your, your newsletter, which is very informative uh, and provocative, I might add. So um, I highly recommend that. Bruce, I want to thank you for all your, your decades of research and 
your effort to edu educate the people of the world about this uh, ever-present danger. So, Bruce, thank you very much for being on the Home Defense. Well, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I hope that you'll uh, email me or uh, the, how people uh, get onto the show or listen to the show, and I'll put that into our newsletter. Bruce, thank you very much for being on the show. This is Skip Coriel from the Home Defense Show. We will be back in a few minutes for the wrap-up. Welcome to my dad's home defense radio show. You're going to love it. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. That was great talking to Bruce Beach from ARC2 author of Society After Doomsday. Boy, what a cheerful book title, Society After Doomsday. Well, I guess that's positive in one respect. He's assuming there will be a Society After Doomsday. So that's good. A lot of things that he talked about. Boy, the concept of organizing your community after societal collapse, especially nuclear war is just daunting to me and i just wonder how possible is it will people really cooperate with each other or will all hell break loose anarchy chaos loosed upon the world will people turn on each other or will there still be enough good people left to do a reconstruction will good win over evil I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that question. Uh, personally, I hope we never find out. But I don't know. I think really the best way to do this isn't to wait until after society collapses. Don't wait until the EMP attack. Don't wait for nuclear fallout. Don't wait for the pandemic economic collapse, whatever it might be, zombie apocalypse, who knows. Don't wait for that. Start doing it now. If you can start doing it now, man, you'll have a leg up. You'll be more prepared than than anyone else at all. I know there's a stigma with that. Uh, I really do because I've been prepping for about nine years now. And some people, they look at you and go, uh, okay, Skip, are you serious? Really? You really think the world's going to end? And no, I don't think the world's going to end. I 
think this society might end. You know, that's what Tia Tawaki stands for, the end of the world as we know it, not the end of the world. So, yeah, why would I not? Americans can be very arrogant. We're the only ones that think that we go on forever and ever and ever without ever ending. Um, is that the, Maybe that's what the Romans thought. The Roman Empire thought they'd go on forever. Adolf Hitler thought, oh, my thousand-year Reich. Well, it didn't work that way, did it? No one goes on forever. Nothing lasts forever except the earth and the sky and Lord God Almighty because he made the earth. So we are temporary. Our society is temporary. America will not always be number one. I mean, certainly we've seen the decline of America over the last eight years. Name one government that is still here that was here a thousand years ago. You can't do it. All governments fail. So it's just a matter of time. Now, you don't have to get maudlin about it or depressed or anything like that. Quite personally, maybe I'm strange, but I think it's exciting. Um, you know, I've done all this preparation, and now I want to get use of all those beans and bullets and the knowledge that I've accrued and and everything. One of the, Aside from organizing my community, one of the biggest things that I've done is to move out of the city. I moved out of the city a long time ago. I lived in uh, Grand Rapids for 20 years. I, I wanted to get out so bad, not for this reason, but for other reasons. I'm a country boy, deep down inside. And two years ago, two and a half years ago, I moved from a really nice neighborhood out in the country to where I'm at right now. Why did I do that? Well, because I recognized that a lone wolf does not survive. Not in a world of lawlessness, of anarchy. You just can't do it. You need like-minded people. You need people who care about you. You need people who, quite frankly, are willing to die for you. In, in that regard, it's like being in the military. Yeah, the guy in the foxhole next to you, you've been in the trenches together. You know that you'll put the, your life on the line for the other guy, and he'll do the same for you. That's what you'll need in anarchy. In order to survive, you'll need people who are willing to die for you. And in my mind, that means family. Family is everything to me. Family is important to me. Certainly friends are important. But, hey, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. So I moved back out to my hometown where I grew up, where I went to kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. I moved there, and I reacquainted with people I went to school with, and it was like I never left. Well, except that we'd all gained weight and gotten gray hair and lost hair and lost muscle mass. I mean, all of those things. You know, we can't remember as much as we used to. Aside from those things, the, the bond is still there. And for me, that was important. I've also organized all my neighbors I've organized my neighbors for a mile around uh, using the National Sheriff's Association National Neighborhood Watch. And that worked well for me. Even if you don't want to go that far, let's say, you know, I don't want to do anything formal. Um, I'd feel stupid. People would, would think I was ridiculous. 
that's fine. Do what I call low-profile prepping. You can very quietly go out and buy certain items. If you don't have a lot of money, when every time you go buy a food item at the store, buy one to use and one to store. Buy a, two bags of beans instead of one. Two bags of rice instead of one. Buy extra lumber, extra nails, extra nuts and bolts. Anything that you buy, buy two of instead of one. And these are all low-cost items, so it's not that big a deal. And with your neighbors, get to know them. Certainly, it doesn't take a lot of effort to get to know the people on either side of your house. Uh, I lived in a small town of 6,000 at one time. I did not know beyond one house on either side. The only time I saw neighbors was when they were outside, so that rules out about five months of the year uh, in a state like Michigan where it's extremely cold five months out of the year. I didn't like that. I grew up in a culture where everybody, you know, it reminds me of that that old sitcom, uh, Cheers, Woody Harrelson and Ted Danson. You know, sometimes you want to go, everybody knows your name. <laughs> That's, uh, I like that. I, I like that. It's got a built-in accountability, too. It's not like in the city of 200,000 or a million where you'll never see the same person twice. So you can pretty much, you know, do whatever the heck you want to with no accountability. I don't like that. I like friends. I like family. <clears throat> my sister and her husband live a half a mile away. My brothers and sisters are all within 15 minutes of my home. And we've sat down and we've talked about it. If the crap hits the fan, what are we going to do? We all have shared skill sets like Bruce was talking about. And, uh, you know, I told you early in segment one, I'm no good at mechanical stuff. Uh, I can't fix my car. I, I can't build things. Um, you know, but most of my brothers and sisters, they're blue collar. They're working class. They know how to do all that stuff. They can replace windows. They can build houses. They can, uh, you know, they can come over and put a fireplace in my home. They can repair my chimney. They can do all of those things. What can I do? Well, I'm big on security. So I've got plenty of guns. I've got plenty of ammunition. I've got reloading supplies. I've got the knowledge to do all of those things. And so that makes me valuable. One of the things you really need to make sure, you need to make sure that you have something to offer your own community. Because if you don't, why should they let you into their little group? What do you have to offer? And it really should be something along the lines of a skill set. What skill set do you have? It could be as, it could be something as simple as I know how to make lye soap. Or I know how to uh, spin wool into yarn. I know how to raise uh, vegetables in a garden. That's a skill set that is going to be very much in need when the crap hits the fan. So think about those things. Learn as much as you can about all of those 
19th century skill sets, lost arts, lost talents, lost skills. They're gone now. Learn how to do things without electricity. If you do that, you will not be disappointed. Plus, you will be valuable to the people around you. Another thing, uh, Bruce uh, Beach and I, we were talking off offline after his last interview, and and uh, he asked me, he says, "Are you ready for nuclear war?" And uh, I misunderstood what he meant. He and I said, "Well, no, I, I guess I'm not. You know, I don't have Geiger counters in my house or dosimeters or anything like that, uh, but I should." And I said, "No, I, I'm not." And he said, well, you need to uh, get right with your maker. And I said, oh, you mean am I spiritually right? Am I spiritually ready for a nuclear war? In that case, yes, I am. That's uh, that's job one right there. You've got to have your family ready. You have to have your family trained up. You have to be an effective team. You have to work together. You have to get along with each other. Because like I said, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. You have to be right with God. Because let's face it, you know, if, if Bruce is right, and it's a nuclear catastrophe, he calls it the great catastrophe. If it's nuclear, you know, there's a lot of us that won't live past the first couple of days. You want to get right with God. Get right with your maker, your creator. Now, you can get mad and say, oh, you're preaching now. Well, I guess I am a little bit. I'm just telling you what's on my mind. But when it comes to nuclear disaster, it's come to Jesus' time. You're either ready or you are not. So, get your family ready. Get your team ready. Get your community ready. Do as much as you can now, because after the crap hits the fan, you might not have time. So do what you can now, and get right with God. All right, folks, we are just about out of time here. What can you do between now and next week? Well, get out there and practice your skill sets. Do some time on the range. Harden your home against crime. Love your family. Pray with them. Read to them. Teach them everything they need to know to survive in this world. Well, hey, and don't forget to go out and buy a copy of Civilian Combat by my friend Skip Coriel on Amazon.com. Pick up, oh, if you want to learn about prepping, get the God Virus, the Shadow Militia, and the Saracen Tide. Okay, folks, we are out of time now. I'm going to sign off now. Go love my family. But right now, you guys go love your family and protect them every second of every day for the next seven days. All right. Love you guys. God loves you. I will see you next week with another episode of The Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel.